Thank you so much, Ron, for leading us in prayer. And good morning, Tabor E-Free Church. Good to see you all this morning. <clears throat> this has been a full week uh, for me here at the church, uh, checking in with uh, people, meeting them, visiting with them, and uh, having meetings of various kinds. Uh, for those of you who are new or listening for the first time this morning to the church, and by the way, there are about 40 or 50 people every Sunday who listen online to the service here, and uh, we're thinking of them as we meet together here as well. For all of you, the church has been going through a transition time. My name is Ed Drulo. I live in Calgary uh, with my wife. We've been there for a couple years, having been serving uh, church in Prince George for many years, and then I've been doing this kind of work for quite a few years uh, since that time. And uh, so I come and and serve the church here uh, a couple of uh, Sundays a month and stay for the week between. So grateful for uh, the accommodation and so on. And sometimes my wife, as you know, uh, joins me. And so during this time, in this transition time, I've been working with the church as its transition pastor And the purpose of this time, which can take up to a year or longer, uh, is to help the church reevaluate its ministry after it's been through a more critical time, uh, before it calls its next pastor. The journey entails renewal, relational renewal, vision renewal, organizational renewal, and so on. And today, we're entering a, a, what I call a second phase of our time together, which is a, uh, called an assessment time. <clears throat> and the purpose of this time <clears throat> is that it seeks to develop a profile <clears throat> uh, of the uh, church, the community, and the kind of pastor that it needs for the future, <clears throat> And one way we try to do this is through a church-wide survey. And this morning as you leave, you're going to receive a copy of that survey. And we would ask that each of you would fill that out individually, even if you're married, do it individually, and get it back to us within the next uh, week or so. In fact, the cutoff date for this is May 1st. And then the assessment team will collate all the responses and will produce, uh, hopefully, a report that you can have in your hands or online to to, uh, see what this is all about. And um, so uh, the the services of this time focus on themes from the Bible that are foundational to the Christian faith and to the ministry of the church. And that's where I've been uh, focusing my time. And this morning, I want to talk to you about uh, prayer. It's not surprising that as we engage in this transition time for the church, and now the assessment stage, that we should sense our need for God's mercy and grace more than ever. We desperately want to know in this time that we really have God's help. I know I need that very much, not only in being guided through this transition process, but ultimately in knowing God's wisdom and blessing regarding the right pastoral leader for the church at this time. 
And this raises the whole question of the nature and necessity of prayer in our lives. Prayer is one of those things that sooner or later is on everyone's mind simply because we are creatures who realize our insufficiency to answer the vital questions of our hearts and lives. And the truth is that people don't think much about prayer in the ordinary course of their lives unless there's a crisis like an accident or injury or death. People think about prayer and reach out to God for his help. There are many different categories concerning attitudes to prayer. There are those who discount the significance of prayer completely, concluding that prayer is just basically a psychological thing, a crutch that people have to have in their lives to, uh, <clears throat> to proceed. <clears throat> and they are those who also don't put much stock in the existence of God, of course, or that <clears throat> one can actually know him. And maybe you know people like that. They are respectful of those who believe in prayer, but they consider them a bit naive or simple-minded. And these are those who have reduced the world to merely functioning like a machine. We would say they have a mechanistic view of the universe and of life. There's another category of prayers who believe in prayer, but not in the way the Bible speaks of prayer. They are pagan in their understanding and practice of prayer and that they pray to the powers that be without any real defined notion of what that's all about. Prayer in this regard is actually pretty common. And one of the good things about these postmodern times in which we live is that people are generally more open to the reality of spiritual phenomena in general. They don't mind if you reference prayer or practice it in some way as long as you don't say your way of doing it is better than theirs, right? Uh, But at the least, there's more freedom these days to speak of prayer and to pray for others. It's not unusual for us to maybe say to someone who isn't even a, a believer or comes to church and so on, can I pray for you? And that's not a bad idea. You can say to somebody anytime, well, can I pray for you? That that's opens doors sometimes to other spiritual conversations. Then there's a third category of prayers that are, uh, consists of those who approach this entire subject from a biblical perspective. They see that prayer is a huge part of what it means to believe in God and to follow Jesus. If they are all familiar with the Bible, they see that prayer is absolutely essential to living the life of faith. They are impressed with the many, many stories in the Bible and in life of how God intervenes in miraculous ways on behalf of his people when they reach out to him in prayer. Of course, they also realize that prayer is a vital expression of worship and thanksgiving toward God. So that they thank him, not only on Thanksgiving Sunday or weekend, but they thank him repeatedly, often, because of all the things that he does in their lives. And they see that in order to know God, it is necessary to confess their need for him in prayer. And by this means, to acknowledge their sin and their and to put their trust in him. Their most fundamental prayer is simply this. You know what it is? 
God be merciful to me, a sinner. Having discovered new life in Christ, these people conclude that prayer is like breathing, absolutely vital to living the spiritual life and life itself. Prayer expresses denial of self-sufficiency while at the same time affirming a sense of total dependence upon the life of God for every moment of existence. But even though we know these things, how often, even as believers, we fail to trust God, to turn to him in prayer for worship, for the confession of our sin, and for his grace in our time of need. So we need reminders often of the importance and the substance of prayer. Learning to pray is partly what being a follower of Jesus is really all about. And this is what his own disciples discovered in being with Jesus. And so we have this interesting passage in Luke chapter 11, 1 to 13. Let me read it for you. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray, just as John, that was John the Baptist, taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The night, the door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, Jesus says, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And what this passage of Scripture tells us is how vital prayer is to our daily lives. And it does this in several ways. In the first way, in the first place, uh, I think it speaks to us in some ways about uh, the posture of prayer. Now, by posture, I'm not talking about whether you're standing or kneeling or lying down. Uh, there may be all kinds of ways and places that we pr pray, and I suppose there's a place for kneeling in prayer. But I'm really talking here about the disposition of prayer in our lives. Because one of the things that is evident, especially in the Gospel of Luke, is a large number of references to Jesus' prayer life. We have it here when it says in verse 1 that Jesus was praying in a certain place. In chapter 6, we read that Jesus went out 
to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God uh, in, in chapter 6, verse 12. And this was just before he's, he called the 12 disciples to become his followers, to become his disciples, his apostles, as he later called them. And here in this chapter, he teaches about prayer, and in chapter 18 as well. And he does the same uh, there. Jesus began his life in the context of prayer, through his mother's prophetic words, even before he was born. And it was in the context of prayer at the temple by Simeon and Anna, as you recall, that he was consecrated to the Lord. And later, at the time of a Jewish Passover in Jerusalem, he lingered in the temple to talk about God with the Jewish leaders of the time. Still later, he was angered by the fact that his people had made the temple a place of commerce instead of a house of prayer. I've often thought of those words in Mark's Gospel where we read, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Think of it. Jesus, the Son of God, needs to go someplace and pray. How much more should it be that we would sense our need for prayer when you think of Jesus? You know, early in my own Christian life, based on this description, I was taught the importance of taking time at the very beginning of each day to spend time with God. And I have been so thankful for that uh, uh, teaching. I have found this to be an essential discipline in my own Christian life. My wife, Carolyn, and I do pray together often. Uh, And uh, we both, however, found that there is no substitute for this kind of personal time with God each day that involves a time and a place to meet with him, to fellowship with him in his word, and to seek him in prayer. Years ago, I learned about the importance of this practice through a story, the story of a group of men called the Cambridge Seven. There they are. Isn't that amazing? This is quite a few years ago. And this group from Cambridge University and the Royal Military College, which also included the great cricketer C.T. Studd, gave up the prospect of fame and a lot of wealth to become missionaries to China. They went there in answer to someone's prayer to join the work of Hudson Taylor, who started the China Inland Mission. But a practice in their lives is not only telling about what transpired, but also a great example to me about the importance of prayer. It's recorded in a small leaflet put out by the navigators called Seven Minutes with God. And I want to read this morning an excerpt that speaks to the importance of this morning quiet time that they had. It goes like this. Students like... Cooper and Thornton found their days loaded with studies, lectures, games, and bowl sessions. Enthusiasm and activity were the order of the day. These dedicated men soon discovered a flaw in their spiritual armor, a small crack which, if not closed, would bring disaster. They sought an answer and came up with a scheme they called... The morning watch, a plan to spend the first minutes 
of a new day alone with God, praying and reading the Bible. The morning watch sealed the crack. It enshrined a truth so often obscured by the pressure of ceaseless activity that it needs daily rediscovery. To know God, it is necessary to spend consistent time with him. The idea caught fire. A remarkable period of religious blessing followed and culminated in the departure of the Cambridge Seven, a band of prominent athletes and men of wealth and education for missionary service. They gave up everything to go to China for Christ. But these men found that getting out of bed in time for the morning watch was as difficult as it was vital. Thornton was determined to turn indolence into discipline. He invented an automatic, foolproof cure for laziness. Are you ready for this? It was a contraption set up by his bed. The vibration of an alarm clock set fishing tackle in motion, and the sheets clipped to the line moved swiftly into the air off the sleeper's body. Thornton wanted to get to meet his God. It was that important. And I want to ask you this morning, do you have a time like that each day? If you're a believer, it's vital that you get regularly into the scriptures, into the word of God. It doesn't have to be a a long time. We're talking here about, originally these people talked about seven minutes with God. Half a minute just to praise the Lord. Uh, Four minutes, I think it was, to read the scriptures. And then three and a half minutes in prayer. And uh, just putting their needs before the Lord. Beginning the day like that. And eventually, as you practice this, it it begins to expand until it's a half hour or an hour or maybe even longer. Well, in this passage before us this morning, it is evident the disciples of Jesus observed Jesus' custom and asked that they might be taught to pray just as John the Baptist taught his followers to pray. So that's the first thing. I call it the posture of prayer. But then I, of course, it's... You see here in this passage the content of prayer. The Lord's Prayer, as it has been called, is actually very simple. Simpler here, actually, than in the Gospel of Matthew, verse chapter 6. It includes only five profound concepts. Worship, mission, petition, confession, and a prayer for deliverance. So let's begin with worship. Our Father, which is in heaven. We could spend a lot of time simply thinking about the significance of those uh, words. Essentially, they mean that it's important that our prayers begin with worship. The acknowledgement of the greatness of who God is. That he is the father of all. And our personal father who dwells in a place called heaven. Far above all the earth. Filling the universe with his great glory. And worship is simply the practice of giving to God the glory that he deserves. And what better way to do that than at the beginning of our prayers or the beginning of our days, our day? It is the recognition that he is absolutely perfect in his person and character, far removed from even the slightest taint of falsehood or wrongdoing, even though he knows about it, and that this is reflected in the greatness of his name, the glory of his creation, and the wonder of his great salvation, which are just a few examples of the greatness of our God. 
So it starts with worship. But you'll notice that Jesus' prayer also immediately includes reference to mission. May your kingdom come, he prays, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And next to the glory of God, the thing that should be uppermost in our minds and prayers is the extension of Jesus' reign over all the earth. This is the ultimate goal of God's plan and purpose for the whole world, that it may, com- may come completely under the reign and rule of our God, not of some political leader, however great they might be, but of Jesus forever and ever. And this is the focus of what the gospel is all about, that every tongue and nation might come to know of Jesus' salvation and reign. This is what the work of the gospel, the church, is all about. And when we pray this way, we are aligning ourselves and submitting ourselves to prepare and engage in the work of God's kingdom. So every day we might ask the Lord, how can I this day be involved in the extension of your kingdom? What can I do? Who can I talk to? How can my work, my money, the resources I have, my home be used to extend your kingdom? The third element of prayer is petition. Give us this day our daily bread. How good to see that petition is right there at the center of our Lord's teaching on prayer. It is the privilege and right of the children of God to ask of him, to ask him to intervene on behalf of their great need for his grace, even in the smallest things. And this is what Jesus elaborates on. According to Luke, after he was instructed, he has instructed his disciples in the matter of prayer, uh, he, he talks more about this in that story Uh, And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. So we'll leave this for a moment and go on to the fourth element of prayer, which is confession. Forgive us our trespasses or our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. So even though we've been washed in the blood of Jesus and our sins have been removed from us, as far as the east is from the west, it says in the Psalms, and they have been buried in the deepest sea, we are still subject to sinful thinking and practice. In so many ways and instances, our thoughts are not God's thoughts. Neither are our ways his ways. Even as Christians, we need to recognize daily and often that we need God's cleansing. And so it is that John instructs the early Christians of his time That if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. He writes that if we confess our sins as believers, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. How often we need to reflect on our misdeeds, misthoughts, and come to the Lord with that and say, Lord, I've blown it. Please forgive me. And he's faithful to do that. And this is such good news that we can walk about without the judgment of sin hanging over our lives, without the interference in our daily lives to impede our progress toward the celestial city. As was true for the worshipers during the time of that first tabernacle, we need to come daily for the cleansing of our sins. And this we need to do also in the company of God's people. The last part of this prayer is deliverance. Lead us not into temptation. One of the things we need to take seriously as Christians is the reality of Satan's work in the world and in our lives. 
Though he has been defeated at the cross and in Jesus' resurrection, he is still active until the time when he is finally thrown into the lake of fire forever and forever. Our praying should take the reality of Satan seriously, setting us to be watchful of his wiles, but also mindful of victory. And um, as it has been said, and as we often do here on Monday, uh, I just encourage you uh, to use this outline uh, for your praying. It just, uh, it's easy to memorize, and it represents uh, what Jesus taught us as to how we should pray. The final element in this passage that speaks to the importance of prayer focused on the results of prayer. And that's a big subject because probably a lot of us think sometimes, well, I pray and it doesn't happen like I'm praying. What do we do about that? How do you resolve the issue of unanswered prayer? Well, uh, there are reasons for that. But I just want to say that in this section, Jesus uses a story or a parable, as we called it, of typical Eastern hospitality in which a friend asks another for a loaf of bread because company has arrived from afar. And their request is rather obnoxious because it is midnight when this happens and the entire family is now in bed. But the man is desperate and he uh, really, really is using the friendship that he has with this man uh, to, um, to his advantage. But the friendship, now I was saying, the man's offended, the man who's in, in the house is offended by the request because of the lateness of the hour, and he wants to send him away. Yet he gets up and gives him some bread, not because of the friendship, because, but because of the audaciousness, the persistence, and so on, of this request. And how does this speak to us about the nature of prayer? Simply in this. We who come to God in prayer have two great advantages. One is that God is our friend and will not turn us away since he never sleeps and he welcomes our requests. But secondly, by this story, he invites us to be bold in our persistence and in our requests for, for whatever they are because he is honored when we lean into praying for relief in our time of need. Ask, he says in this passage, and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And I'm not sure if you recognize it, but this is the great, a great invitation to be bold and believing in our praying. It speaks loudly to Jesus' disciples to ask with persistence and with expectation. Again and again in the gospel, we hear Jesus inviting us to ask, John 16, 24, Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask as as in his in my name ask and receive and your joy will be full you know in my experience i've often noticed that we often excuse boldness and true faith in prayer 
by adding a little qualifier. You know what it is? It's if it is your will. And it's true that our prayers need to be according to his will. But if we abide in him and his word abides in us, we can ask what we will and it will be done for us. That's the secret. His word abiding in us and we, and we abiding in him. And I'm sure that if we were bolder and believing and more persistent in prayer, we would see a lot larger things accomplished in our lives and for the kingdom of God. You know, the, God's will is so much larger than our understanding. It's true. And there's so much we don't understand. And it's true that so often we come without that understanding because perhaps we lack a knowledge of what his will is and accord to his word and so on and otherwise. But another part of this is to be faithful, to be people of faith, to believe, to trust. So let's not be timid in prayer. Let's be persistent. Let's trust him for change where change is needed. Let's be persistent and believe that God is able to do far more than we could ever ask or think. Well, here in Tabor EFC during these days, we have a wonderful opportunity to trust God and seek him in prayer regarding the work that he wants to do through this church in this community in days to come however long that is, before the Lord returns. I know I so much need God's help for my role in what we're doing here. And I pray often that we would do things according to his will. And I know many of you see this as well, and you do that too. And I appreciate that so much. I've been blessed and encouraged by the response to the Monday night call to prayer that's been here in the church for some time now. Thanks to Ben and Shirley Dick, who have given leadership to this important ministry. It's always good to, when I'm here, to be able to show up and see who's there. And uh, we'll, it would be wonderful if, if more people would join us. Uh, I've tried to come alongside in my time here to encourage and strengthen this ministry. And one of my suggestions has been to have uh, special nights of prayer here at the church during this time. And I think this, this isn't a bad thing to do regularly. When the entire congregation, or as many as possible, come together for prayer. I know that prayer is encouraged in your small groups and otherwise, like I said, on Monday night. But I, I think there's a time for us to gather as an entire body of people to pray. And that include possibly everyone? Well, as many as possible. If we could gather occasionally as a church and seek the Lord, wouldn't that be great? So we want to try to do that tonight uh, at 6.30. And we'll only be here for an hour, an hour and a half at the most. Uh, and uh, we'll gather here as many as we can in this area. And we'll uh, lead a time of prayer. Um, we'll have some worship and so on. But there'll be some praying together as well. And, you know, you might say, well, I'm not comfortable praying in a group. Well, that's okay. You don't have to. But if you can learn how to pray with others, uh, that is such a blessing. And because God's people in the New Testament, we read, gathered often to pray, just as, as they were encouraged to do in the Old Testament. 
And we're going to look at an Old Testament passage tonight where they did this. So there's a time. It may not be possible in these busy times in our lives to gather every week to do this as a church. But it would be great if we could gather more often. And And it's a chance for us to get to know one another better as well. So I just want to encourage you. Uh, to consider coming out tonight for that little time together as we seek the Lord together in prayer. What do you think? Is that a good idea? Everybody? (laughs) Great. Well, as we conclude, let's stand together and say the Lord's Prayer together, all right? And then we'll uh, wrap this up. All right. You'll have to look at the screen. But pray this from your heart. Let's go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we thank you for teaching us about prayer. Thank you for your presence here this morning to do that as we have gathered together in your name to express our faith, to reach out to you, to tell you that we love you, that you're, you're so great, so wonderful that we, we need your help in our personal lives, that we confess our sin, that we know we've done wrong, that we want to align ourselves with the work of your kingdom, that we need deliverance in time of temptation. And so, Lord, we, we just identify so much with this prayer. Thank you so much for it. Thank you for the privilege of seeking you together. I pray your blessing on our gathering this evening. Might it be a wonderful time of sharing together. We pray in Jesus' name. As we're standing here together, let's, uh, let's close in song.